Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai, pastor of Church Life, and we are continuing our series on the promised king during this time of Advent as we look at the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of years ago, um, my wife's sister and her husband, um, they took a DNA test. I'm going way ahead on this for some reason. Um, they took a DNA test and it had to do with an ancestry. Now, how many people have heard of those things? You know, you take this DNA test and things like that. So then um, she uh, told my wife, her sister, the results, and because they're sisters, they have the same common ancestry. Now, what was found out was uh, nothing that surprising at the beginning, but, um, you know, her background is basically from the nations that make up Great Britain and Ireland. So Irish, Welsh, a Scottish, and English background. And there was just a little bit of hint there of Scandinavia as well. And that was quite surprising. And then my sister on said, but there's something else that's different. I'm like, okay, share it with us. So she said, well, there's some ancestry to Asia. I'm like, well, that's fantastic because I am Asian. I am, so this is good, like this is neat, this is cool. She goes, well, there's something more to it, and, and it's actually from the southern part of Asia, the Indian subcontinent, which is really interesting, because if you look at me, no, I'm not Spanish or Arabic, I am from South Asia, I'm from India, background. And this is really interesting, I'm thinking, what are the chances of this actually happening? This is, this is really cool. And then she goes, well, it really comes from a certain state in India. I'm like, India has many, many states. Many, each state is very distinct from the other states around it. Um, so yeah, from the northwest corner, by the Arabian Sea and borders Pakistan. And I'm like, wait a minute, my background is from there as well. What is going on? And sure enough, my wife, her ancestry is from the state of Gujarat. She is part Gujarati. Which is like, what, like seriously, what are the chances? Me meeting an English Canadian woman who for some strange reason loves me, no idea why, love is blind and I thank the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah chorus right there. Okay, but like what are the chances? What are the chances? And here's the percentage of it. Yeah, percent, I'm proud of this. Yeah. Well, actually, this part's, 99.9, this is 0.1% Gujarati. So, this is a great day of celebration when I found out, you know, great, I danced, I actually did a Bollywood dance. Um, as a Christmas present to you, I will not do that Bollywood dance this morning. But this is great, we had, uh, it was during lockdown, so we celebrated everything, so she came back from work, um, and we had Indian Appreciation Day. I made some butter chicken, made some naan, had some Indian dessert, not really, it was cheesecake from Costco. But it was a great day of celebration. And it's so funny because my kids to this day will say that they're 50% English, 50% French. Well, I have scientific proof that majority of them are Indian. So there you go. So it was a great day. So the reason why I bring this up is because we need to know our history. We need to know our ancestry. We need to know our background. Now, I'm not talking about the physical attributes of our makeup, but we need to know our spiritual background. We need to know our history. Because when we look at the Word of God, this is our story. All of us in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is our history. And it is important for us to know. And today, 
I want to share about history, but I also want to talk about salvation. Salvation today. So the whole story of salvation does not begin, did not begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It began further in the past. And we need to know that. We, we need to go to the very beginning of the Old Testament in which the first few words of the Old Testament in Genesis is in the beginning. And in the beginning, God had created. Final piece of creation was Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are our ancestral mom and dad. We all come from Adam and Eve. We have this shared history. We have this shared story. We have this shared account that is true. And God made everything for them that they needed in the garden. Many of you know this biblical account. Made everything for them. They didn't have any needs there. God met every single thing. God said, you can have everything that you want, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then Satan comes into the picture and goes to Eve and says, did God really say that? Really? He didn't really say that you may surely die. But if you eat of it, you will have the knowledge of good and evil. You will be just like God. Immediately, something happens. Eve is tempted, falls into sin. Adam is tempted, falls into sin. And this relationship that God had with humanity, which is so beautiful, is literally shredded in half. Terrible. As much as beautiful creation was, this was ugly. And the separation that took place was horrid. A divorce that is worse than a divorce, the worst separation we could ever think of occurred at that point, where God wanted to have fellowship with his creation, but humanity destroyed that, the fall, and we become a fallen race. And we can't put it together. Nothing in our power as human beings can we put this relationship back together. it's, It's not by us but it is by God, and it's not by God's power, but it's God's love for his creation that he makes a way. Salvation's story actually begins in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, God says to Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he says, and I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is talking about one day, the savior of the world coming, making all things new and all things whole again. And throughout human history, man has tried to have this relationship with God and God offered many ways. One one way, the one way was people would sacrifice animals unto God and that would be an atonement for our sin but that was done temporarily. It was only for a period of time, but it was not forever. But something had to happen. It had to become forever. So God throughout human history is making what we would call covenants. We don't use the word covenant a lot in today's day. It's like this agreement between two parties. So here is God and, and God makes these promises to the people. And then the people have to keep their commitment to God to make this work. But over and over again, humanity, while God keeps his promises, humanity has constantly failed. But God is the one who's always wanting to make this thing work. And God is a covenant-making God. 
because he wants so much to spend time with his creation. He's a covenant-keeping God, and he, he keeps it. And he's a covenant-fulfilling God, because what God promises comes true. And in the early part of Genesis, humanity becomes very, very evil. Adam and Eve, they leave the garden, and the population grows, and the hearts of men and women become so corrupt to a point where God even grieves that he created them. But there was one person in particular who was righteous, him and his family, Noah. So God had decided to pour his wrath upon earth and destroy the earth, every single thing that was on it, all mankind, all men and all women, but save Noah and his family. And that brings in something called the Noahic Covenant. And this covenant was to ensure that there is still creation in the image of God. And God promises that he will never, ever destroy the earth, the world, with water ever again. And we have the sign of the rainbow. That's where it comes from, from this covenant. But it's like a reset of creation. And starting, starting from scratch almost again. But not really. Because Noah is a descendant from Adam and Eve, our ancestral parents. The population grows and people move all across the land. And then God looks and he's, he's, he wants to make another covenant. And he finds a person named Abraham. And Abraham is called out of his way of living. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And that brings us to the Abrahamic covenant. And within the Abrahamic covenant, it says, you will get a land and your children will be blessed. Not just your children, but all nations through you will be blessed. There's only one problem. Abraham is old, same with his wife. They have no children. But miraculously, God, God intervenes and they have a son. And that son, Isaac, has children. And one of them is Jacob, who becomes Israel. God makes this covenant with the people. Well... This small family keeps on growing and growing and growing. And then what happens is they become tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. And they grow and grow to a point where they have to, there's a family in the land and they go to Egypt. And in Egypt, they are there and things are good at the beginning. But then things get horrible because the Egyptians see that the Israelites are growing in number. And they enslave the Israelite people for years and years and years. And the people cry out for a deliverer. And God says that he will rise up, raise up a prophet. And prophet is Moses. And Moses delivers the people of Israel out of bondage of Egypt into the promised land that God had promised them with Abraham. And this now starts the Mosaic Covenant. When God is there and he says to the people, he says, I will give you my laws. Now these laws are not salvation at all, but these laws are to separate the people, the people from other kingdoms. And God says, but you will become a kingdom of priests to the world around you, that you can be a light so that all people can see that I am the living God. And then these tribes, they coalesce, they become the kingdom of Israel. And that brings us to our next covenant, and that is the Davidic covenant. David was the second king of Israel, the most famous king, a righteous king. And God says to David in the Davidic covenant, out of you will come one that will be on the throne forever. And this brings hope to the Israelite people that one day that there would be a Messiah that would come. 
And this promises, again, the land, the blessing, and that blessing for all nations as well. Well, something happens to the kingdom. Generations go, go by and good kings become evil. And then there's a line of evil, horrible kings. And they go against God and they go against the covenant. They go against the commitment that they have made. And what happens? God takes his hand of blessing away from them because God cannot bless disobedience. And then they are overtaken by the Babylonian empire. They are taken and put into exile in Babylon. And as that is happening, a new and final covenant is spoken of in the Bible, in the book of Jeremiah, where God says, there's going to be a new covenant. And this new covenant will be the forgiveness of sins. This will happen with the change of people's heart. This will be the last covenant. This will be a forgiveness of sin. This will be an intimate relationship with God. And this new covenant is what Jesus established in the Gospels. So now we come to the passage of Scripture. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. I want to give some quick little background information. Last week we talked about this. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are from the priestly line of Israel. They are in their old age. An angel visits Zechariah and says, you will have a son. Zechariah does not believe it as a disobedience. Um, God shuts his mouth until the baby is born. And now the baby is born. So let's rise as we read from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Listen to some of the words here. And what I just talked about the covenants you're going to see some links here. We need to know our story. We need to know our history. We need to know where we come from. Zechariah's song, it says, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets, of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You may be seated. So here is Zechariah. And he is, the Holy Spirit is upon him. Now the big idea for this morning is, in this passage, salvation fulfills us in three ways. Now this is the second major song recorded in the book of Luke. First was the Magnificat, which was what Mary uh, talked, we talked about last week. This is now called the Benedictus, Latin for the blessing of God, the Lord God of Israel. So here we have in verse 67, Zechariah, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he prophesied. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit, this does not mean salvation, because Jesus has not been born yet. 
But this is the Holy Spirit coming upon Zechariah, and he's prophesying these words in this song. And it's really interesting that he's never had a child before, and his child is now born. And what's the first thing he does? Instead of saying how great his son is, he talks about the Messiah. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon Zechariah. The role of the Holy Spirit is to focus everything on Jesus. And this is what Zechariah is doing by the power of the Spirit, focusing everything on Christ. Even though he doesn't even know who Jesus is, he hasn't been born yet. So in verse, sorry, so the first thing about redemption is fullness of redemption. First thing about salvation, fullness of redemption. Now again, the Holy Spirit is upon him and He is focusing on Jesus Christ right now. Let's go to verse 68. God has not forgotten his people, Israel. He has always kept Israel in mind. Even though Israel has constantly failed him many times through the covenant over and over again. But God has come. This word come is to visit. Is to dwell among the people to visit, to be with them, and to bring redemption. Finally, to bring redemption to the people as they are looking for it. We go to verse 69. In verse 69, he uses this metaphor. He says he has raised up a horn of salvation. And the metaphor is this. The horned animal in the Middle East was very strong, and the strength came from from the horn. So this is power. And then he describes the power, and the power is salvation, but it's from a savior, and it is for us. Now, not just Israel, but all of humanity. And where does this power come from? It comes from the house of David. Remember the Davidic covenant we talked about? It comes from there. And he goes on in verse 70, and he says, through his holy prophets of long ago. Every time a prophet spoke about salvation, it had to do with Christ coming. It had to do with the day there was the incarnation of God coming as God put on humanity for the human race, for salvation, for salvation. And when you look at what it says, the house of David, it talks about Psalm 134. It talks about these covenants of long ago. God is keeping them and God is showing how he is always keeping his covenants. And the salvation comes from the Messiah, from the Savior, who was promised long ago. And then it speaks of deliverance, because salvation from our enemies. Zacharias were probably thinking that this would maybe a political thing, because they're under bondage of the Roman Empire. But this is not a political thing. This is all spiritual. It's about the sin that entered this world. And this is the spiritual element he's talking about. How God will come and free the people from their enemies, which is Satan and the death that he brings into life, our lives. And then the verses go on in 72. It says how God shows his mercy to our ancestors. When we look at the original context, yes, it talks about the past ancestors, but it also talks to the ones who will, who are living. It may sound a little bit different, but this is talking about a little time difference here. And God is faithful because he always remembers the holy covenant all the time. God always remembers what he promises for the people. And here we have something again with the other covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. What he swore to our father Abraham, 
keeping that constantly and consistently. And this is reminiscent of Genesis 22. The fullness of redemption is found in the new covenant. That is what Jeremiah talked about. And this is what God is bringing onto the scene, this new covenant of the forgiveness of sins forever. It's like God giving a second chance to the people. No more covenants. This is it. No more other agreements. This is it. No more other sacrifices. This is it. This is through Jesus Christ and him alone. He will satisfy the wrath of God. Our redemption doesn't come through anything that we have done, that we have created. It's only when God came in, put on flesh, was born of a virgin, rose up in wisdom and stature, and died on a cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Nothing that we can do, God was the one who had to initiate it. This is our ancestry. This is our spiritual history. This is who we are as the people of God. So fullness of redemption, salvation brings. Next is fullness of worship. Fullness of worship. Now let's look at verses 74 and 75 together. Here is Zechariah, and he says he's going to rescue us. God is faithful. He's going to rescue us from our sin, from the hand of our enemies. Again, this would be Satan and all evil. And then what, what happens? That enables us to what? To serve him without fear. Serve, in this context, is to worship. To worship him in holiness, in righteousness, in spirit, and in truth. Before him all our days, eternally. Forever and ever through eternity. We receive salvation from God so that we may worship him, the one who saves us. Now, that may sound a bit self-serving about God, but let me unpack this. And as I was studying, I came across this author, and his words are much better on this subject than I am. Many of you probably know this author. It's C.S. Lewis, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. He's also written some amazing Christian books like Mere Christianity. But this is what he says about this topic. He says, the world rings with praise. Readers, their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we should delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Lewis says that people praise what they enjoy. Okay, for example, as I'm speaking to you today, December 18th at 10.49 this morning, literally, literally, billions of people are watching the World Cup. Okay? Literally. Why are they watching the World Cup? Because they love the game. Why am I not watching the World Cup? Because Pastor Charles made me preach today. <laughs> it's okay. I still pray for the man. I just moved him from the list of praying for my friends to praying for my enemies. And this is being recorded for all eternity, too. <laughs> but people want to watch that game, and they, they love it. It's, it it's, causes enjoyment. C.S. Lewis further goes on, and he says this. The Westminster Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to, fully, fully to enjoy is to glorify in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. 
So there is this fullness of worship that actually benefits us. We do not worship God for God's sake. We worship God for our sake. It's this enjoyment of being in his presence constantly and consistently. The one who has created us, the one who wove us in our mother's womb, the one who has given the breath of God in us so that we can live a life according to his purposes. Salvation is the fullness of worship so that we can enjoy God even more. So we've looked at fullness of redemption, fullness of worship, and now fullness of life. And I speak fullness of life on earth and for eternity. Zachariah finally turns now to his point, to his son. Before this, he's talking about Jesus, and he finally turns to his son. Now, I remember the first time I held my son. Oh, this is amazing. All my sons are like, I, I remember it, and I remember it until the day I die, and the enjoyment I had. But it's interesting how he talked about Jesus before, and now, secondly, he goes and talks about his son, John, who we now know as John the Baptist. And this is what he says. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You know what? If you've got your Bibles, put an asterisk around this one, because this is huge. This is huge. Now you, son, will be the prophet of the Most High. For 400 years, God has been silent and did not say a word. But now he raises some obscure person named John to be the one to proclaim God. This is huge. And he will be the forerunner because he will go on before the Lord who has not been born yet. Okay, he's still within Mary to prepare the way for him. This part's exciting. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This is huge because at the right time, now God speaks to the people of Israel, but not just Israel, but all humanity, because all of humanity will know about Jesus. And here is John the Baptist. He's preparing the way, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. You want a relationship with God? It's not through political means. You can't overthrow anything. It is, you want to overthrow something? What needs to be overthrown is Satan and the kingdom of darkness. How is that done? Through the forgiveness of sins of the people. That is the enemy. And he is the one who is the prophet of the Most High. Be the one to be the forerunner of Christ. And then we go to 78, 79. In the last two verses, Zechariah finishes this prophetic song and speaks the coming salvation through Christ. And it, and it comes of the tender mercy of God. God is merciful. He has shown his mercy throughout the ages, covenant after covenant after covenant, in which the people of God has failed to meet. And this is really interesting what Zechariah says. He uses the contrast of light and darkness, which is a fantastic contrast. And he says, the rising sun will come to us from where? From heaven. God himself coming down, putting on humanity for us. And the shine, to shine those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, that's us. We live too many times in the shadow of darkness, in death. But God comes in with his light, totally in opposition to that. 
and to guide our feet into the path of peace. This message is not just for Israel or those who have the bloodline of Abraham, but this is for all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, male or female, young and old. This is for all of us. The great part of this passage is the peace. And this peace is peace on earth, but also peace forever. Peace on earth meaning that not the absence of trouble, but trouble when troubles are in, God is there to help us in that. And he gives us the peace, his peace, to face certain situations. But this peace is also eternal. Because when we are not with God, we are in opposition to him. And there is no peace, but God gives us peace from Jesus Christ. So we can be at peace with God forever and for all eternity. It's, it's the fullness of God coming into our lives. It's about God sending his son not to be a temporary atonement of the wrath of God that is poured on, but a permanent solution, a permanent sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to die on a cross for our sins. This is salvation. Salvation fulfilled, gives us the fulfillment of redemption, of worship, of life. See, here we, have, here we have God. And here we have humanity. What was supposed to be at the beginning, this beautiful relationship was severed because of the original sin. And no matter what humanity does for redemption, it's never good enough. Whatever is full of worship, nope, not good enough. Fullness of life, no. But it's only when God, when God sent his son and he made the way, he made the path for humanity to come to God because first God was the one who came to humanity through Jesus Christ. It's only through this cross, it's only through this pathway where we can have full salvation. And for those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, May we never forget salvation. May we never take for granted what God has given to us. This beautiful relationship that we can have. Remember, God called you personally. Didn't call your family. God, you individually to have a relationship with him. You know what God could have done in the garden? He could have erased everything. He could have erased all of humanity. He could have said that, I mean, forget it. Done, it's over, and start again. Create some other creature. But what did God do? No, God was there for humanity and called you, each and every one of you, distinctively at the right time to be in a relationship with him, to give you salvation, to give you the fullness of redemption, the fullness of worship, and the fullness of life. That is what we celebrate in this season. God giving us his son. God gave you the free gift of salvation when Jesus took your sin upon himself. Perhaps you're in this room and and you don't have this relationship with God. You don't have salvation. You know, God loves you and he cares about you. There is an enemy called Satan. And Satan does not want you to have life. Satan wants to destroy you. Satan could care less about who you are. And spiritually, he wants to eat you up and destroy you and kill you. But God came and came to give us life and life to the fullest through salvation. 
You know, Christmas is a time of hope, peace, and love. That, that's Jesus Christ. And God wants to give you his love through his son, Jesus. You cannot find fullness in anything on this planet, only through Jesus Christ. If you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what you need to do. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins because sin is what separated man and women from God in the first place. And then you believe Jesus is the only God, that there is no other, and then you commit your life to Christ. If you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, in a few moments, I'm going to lead out in prayer. In that prayer, I'm going to direct you in this prayer. Silently in your heart, but it's a decision from your heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for your love and for your grace and your mercy that is forever. Lord, I pray for every single Christ follower in this room. Lord God, I pray that they never take salvation for granted. That it was a gift that you had given us through Jesus Christ, your son. That he took sin away from us. That he who was perfect became sin for us. We thank you for the fullness of redemption. We thank you for the fullness of worship. We thank you for the fullness of life. And may we share that with others who do not know you. Because it's not just for select people to know about salvation. It's for all people to know about salvation. And may you use us who are Christ followers to share that message of Jesus to people around us. Now for those who, of you who are, who are wondering about salvation and are making a decision from your heart to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, it's a decision from your heart that you make. And it's an important decision and one of the best decisions you can make. If that is you, pray this prayer silently in your heart after me. Dear Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins that separate me from you. I thank you for the forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, you are the only God, that there is no other, that there is no rival. It is only you. And now I commit my life to you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. May we never forget what salvation means and what it's all about.